Praise God. You may be seated. I don't know if I'll get it all done or not. This pretty much will preach itself. But I thank the Lord for the word today. Amen. So the blind man came to Jesus. We don't know his name. We know who his father was. Uh, basically, his identity was not wrapped up in his name. It was wrapped up in uh, his family's name and wrapped up in his identity of who he was as a blind man. In other words, when people looked at him, they didn't say, hey, there's Billy. Uh, they looked at him and said, there's the blind man. That's Timaeus's boy. Bar Timaeus, son of Timaeus. His identity was what was broken in him. Everybody looked at him by his dysfunction. He was defined by dysfunction. And so when people came through the gate, it wasn't that they were happy to see Billy. They were happy to see the blind man. It was like a comfort level to them. The blind man, Timaeus boy, he's going to be there tomorrow. Because there is a certain way that we get used to things in our lives. I believe that uh, Bartimaeus was born blind. I believe that this was something he dealt with all of his life. But there was... Also a principle that he needed to know and that he exercised his faith in and that is just because it's always been that way doesn't mean it always has to be that way. And when Jesus comes into your life, it really doesn't matter how it's always been. I know that this world believes in a thing called generational curses. Now we've seen it. And we've seen the effects of it. We've seen men that their daddy beat women and was a sought drunk. And so they felt like, I'm going to beat women and be a drunk. And we've seen some of those very men that their lives were affected by decisions that were made. As a matter of fact, even though we don't like to deal with it, the language is actually in the scripture. That your sins will be invested in, you'll be paying the price for generations to come. Now, the world calls it a generational curse. I just call it bad habits that need to be broken. Amen. And here's what you need to understand is that I've seen some of those same men whose lives were affected by decisions their fathers made, made terrible decisions, made bad decisions for their families, uh, were alcoholics because their dad did that. That's how they were raised. They were drug addicts because their dad was. And the world would say and psychologists would say that this is what they're going to be because that's what they've always been. But in this church, we know something about the life-transforming power of Jesus. And we refuse to settle for the language that just because that's the way it's always been, that's the way it's always going to be. There's a few folks in this house today that can testify to the fact that when, woo, that when Jesus gets a hold of you, you're not like you've always been. I don't care what the world says you're going to be. I don't care what the world has confined you to and defined you to be. Oh, there's old blind so-and-so. They've always been blind, so they're always going to be blind. But I've come to tell you in this house that one touch from the master can forever change who you are. You know, there is that that moment in life where you get touched by Jesus and in ministry I've seen this so many times in January uh, of this year was my uh, 21st anniversary on pastoral staff at this church full-time and I have seen in my ministry and in the ministry of my parents and grandparents people that come to the house of the Lord and at the time we're praying that what they get is true deliverance come to the altar and they pray 
through, so to speak. And God really touches them. I've seen those people lay down whatever the problem was on, on this platform, the platform by my old office. I've seen them come in and lay their, uh, their vices down, you know. I mean, through the years, we've had everything from illegal drugs and narcotics to uh, uh, cigarette packs to alcohol bottles, uh, satanic CDs and records and tapes. And, Lord, we've had it all laying on the altar of this church. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting moment when you get a bunch of Pentecostals that don't even know what drugs are. And they come like, oh, what are we going to do with that? And then you got a few that's been delivered. And they walk up and they're like, Pastor, you know what that's worth? <laughs> I mean, we could pay on that mortgage a little bit. <laughs> oh, I love pastoring. And uh, you see those people come forward and, and they lay it down, and their intention in that moment is based on what they feel. They feel that powerful breakthrough moment, so they lay it down. But they, they, they leave the house of God. And I want to say this in an encouraging way today. I don't want to discourage you at all. But I want to tell you that just because you lay something down physically at the altar doesn't mean it's knocked on your door for the last time. You're going to spend the rest of your life fighting your greatest enemy. And I hate to tell you this, but it's not Lucifer. It's your old flesh. I know we look at people and say, man, the devil's wreaked havoc in their life. I hate to see them drug addicts. Now, I, I, I get what you're saying. But the devil has never one time picked up a syringe and stuck it in somebody's arm. It don't work that way. The devil has never, ever took a credit card and formed a line, gave them a straw or a $100 bill and said, get you a snip. It don't happen that way. It happens when you continue after that moment of deliverance to walk in the same way that you walked when you came to the house of the Lord. The old saying is, you do it to me once, shame on you. Do it to me twice, shame on me. What's that mean? It means if you continue to walk in the same way, you'll continue to do the same things. And so the scripture helps us to understand that just because that's the way you always walked doesn't mean that's the way you have to keep on walking. I'm not looking this morning for a temporary relief. I'm looking for delivering power to be transferred in the house of the Lord. I'm not looking for people that... that uh, that can stand up and say, you know, I was an alcoholic, but it don't even bother me to be around alcohol right now. It don't while you're still high on the Holy Ghost. But you get yourself in a weak little time and a, and a struggle and find yourself in a valley. And you go hang around the same friends that after you prayed through, you were strong enough to make it without falling. You go back over there in that same way and you watch what happens to you while you're weak. You can't just keep walking in the same way. I don't remember if it was here or somewhere. Somewhere I, I said it. Uh, had people just about pass out. Thought we were going to have to call the ambulance one time. I was using this to advance and make a, a point about this. And, you know, people were saying uh, to me at that time, were saying, you know, Brother St. Clair, I really, um, I really can't just 
walk away from people because God's going to use me to go back and win those same people. And I said, yeah, you got, you got to be really careful here how you're dealing with this, you know, because I know you feel strong right now. But there's going to come a time when you're weak. And so I made the statement trying to, to prove a point in, in my preaching. I said, you know, the Lord's been working on me. Because we need revival everywhere. And I got people going, you know, we need revival everywhere. We need revival in this city. We need revival everywhere. And I said, so I'm going to go to the strip club after church today and win somebody to the Lord. And they're like, oh. Well, I mean, if you got the Holy Ghost, you know, what's the point? Listen to what I'm telling you right now. You can say whatever you want to say. But if you continue in the way long enough, you will eventually become a prey to the way. And whatever the weakness of those people are will eventually become your weakness. And there has to come a moment in your life that you're willing to say, God has transformed me. God has turned me around. God has lifted me out of the miry clay and has set my feet on a solid rock. And just because I'm confident in his deliverance doesn't mean I'm going to go build mud pies in the miry clay. Am I helping anybody? The miry clay is something we come out of. It's not something we go back to. And you have to be strong enough to say, hey, look, I love you. I'm still your buddy. I'm your boy. I'm loyal to a fault. That's, that's one of my deals. I'm loyal to a fault. I love people too hard. I'm, I'm a very loyal soul. But I've had those conversations in my life with people that said, look, I can't follow you where you're going. And if you want to know where I'm at and where I'm standing, you always know where to find me because I'm going to be standing on grace in the house of the Lord. Listen, I'm not telling you to cut people off in your life and to stop loving them. I'm telling you that Jesus will change your way. And you're not going to want to go back where you've always gone because you don't want to do what you've always done. You know, you can, you can really get some mighty strength in the house of the Lord. That's why I don't ever want this church to just become some other church. I don't just, I, I, I want this church to be powerful. I want this church to be a dancing, shouting, praying, rejoicing church. I want that because it's in that kind of atmosphere where people are set free. I believe that there's enough power in this house today that if you're addicted to whatever it is, I've seen God do it, that he can take the taste right out of your mouth for whatever it is that you love. We've seen God do it. We've seen God take the taste of crack right out of people's mouth. We've seen God deliver people from uh, prescription drugs right now. We've seen God do it. We've seen God dry up the alcoholic and they've never gone back to the bottle. But I want to tell you what they don't do is they don't walk around sniffing the bottle. Just to show you I can. I'm stronger than that thing right now. I got a friend. I got a friend as an evangelist. He's a, he, he does a lot of, of fasting. He talks about, preaches a lot about prayer and fasting. We were together the other day and, and we were laughing because when he goes on extended fast, sometimes he'll pull through a drive-thru on the fast and order his favorite burger and take that burger and hold it in his nose and just sniff it. 
He said, then I drive down the road and I throw it out and say, in your face, devil, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. <laughs> he said, man, I love chocolate, ch chocolate chip cookies. And, and he said, I, I do the same thing. Sometimes I'll just get cookies when I'm feeling tempted. He said, and I, I put them in my face. I broke them all up. He said, but one day I got weak and I ate the cookies. <laughs> he said, it's okay. I was only two days in. <laughs> what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying if you smell the cookie long enough. Am I preaching to anybody? I'm glad to tell you this morning. Bartimaeus, you don't have to go your old way. But when Jesus tells you to go your way, your new way can be his way. The Bible said he followed Jesus in the way. I want, I've got good news for you this morning. There is a way that's going to be a blessing to your life. There is a way that can change your life. And Jesus can change your way. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. Now, we do understand the scripture says, and this is heavy. There is a way that seems right unto a man. But the end thereof is death. It's destruction. That's what your Bible says. Because there's something so crazy about sin. It's amazing. I've never seen anything like the way this works. But wherever there is sin, there's always going to be something connected with it. It's a spirit of justification. Every time. Nobody ever just sins because they did. They sin because somebody else pressured them. Somebody else took them. Now, that may, it may all come to pass in your mind at some point. But understand, it's so crazy because misery loves company. If you believe it, shout amen. amen. And uh, I'm fixing to go deep on you right here. Put your floaties on. Birds of a feather. Oh, you guys are deeper than I thought you were this morning. <laughs> Birds of a feather flock together. And so when you keep flocking with the same old birds that help you justify all the time, you're in the way. But it's in the way that seems right unto man. And the end of that way is certainly not eternal life. How many of you know how lust is conceived? It's conceived by sin. And sin, when it is finished... It brings forth death. I wish I could tell you that there was a different ending to that story, but there's not. As long as you continue to walk in that way, the longer you walk in that way, the more you do those things. So sometimes your relationship with God and salvation is not based upon what you do or don't don't do a lot of times it's based on what you have to remove yourself from to keep from doing that that's what standards of holiness and separation are really all about it's not that if i do this i'm gonna die and go to hell it's very simply that there are some things i have to do in my life to build boundaries in my world to keep in other words it's not that i don't go to the bar anymore i don't go to the bar and pick up my friends anymore that need a ride am i helping anybody because it's too you're not the same man you used to be you don't go the same places you used to go 
You don't entertain the same things you used to entertain. And if you keep walking in that way, it's going to lead to destruction. But thank God there is a way. Hallelujah. In your Bibles today, in the book of Acts, the third chapter, the Bible tells us that Peter and John came to the temple at the hour of prayer. It was the ninth hour. And the word of the Lord said that there was a certain man there that was lame from his mother's womb. It's the way it had always been. He was just a lame man. And he was laid there by somebody every day. What is that, Pastor? It's that spirit I was telling you about. It's that justification. It's connected yourself. There was somebody empowering his dysfunction. Somebody laid him there every single day. You can always find somebody to come up beside you and keep laying you in the way. Woo! I'm preaching to somebody here today. But when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked alms of them. Why did he ask alms of them? Because that's the way it had always been. He was asking from them in the same routine that he had always lived in. But he gave heed to them, verse 5, expecting to receive something of them. How many of you know that God can exceed your expectations? Then Peter said to him, silver and gold, have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. Do you know why Peter didn't have what he wanted? Because Peter wasn't in the way he was. Peter said, I'm letting you know right now, I'm walking a different way than you're walking. I've got a hold of something in this way that you can't get in that way. Silver and gold, have I none, such as I have, give I thee. You've heard me preach it so many times through the years, but Bishop Billy McCool made such an impact on my life when I was a kid preaching, and he made this statement. He said, if it was the church of today, we would say, silver and gold, have we plenty, but such as you need, we don't have any. It's because it's easy to walk in the way of pleasure. It's easy to walk in the way of blessing. It's easy to walk in the way of increase. But what do you do when you get to somebody that they don't need alms, they need to be healed? You can't buy healing. You can't buy deliverance. And Peter said, I don't have silver and gold. But what I have, I'm about to give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he lifted him up. And the Bible said that immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Somebody shout yes. Yes. But I want to show you this in verse 8. This is powerful. And he leaping up stood and he walked and he, watch this now, he entered with them into the temple. Walking, leaping, and praising God. This man, just a few moments ago, was living in a way that did not allow him to go into the temple. But now that God has touched him and he has healed him, the Bible tells us that the Lord changed his way. He didn't get his miracle and run off. He didn't get his miracle and leave. He got his miracle and he ran into the temple. I'm 
telling you, when the Lord changes your way, you can't wait to get to the house of God. When the Lord changes your way, you can't wait. I'm not talking about getting your deliverance at the altar and going back the same way you were living and living the same kind of life you were living. I'm talking about a conversion that happens when the Lord touches your body. He does more than touch your body. It puts a desire in you that if you're going to the house of the Lord, then I'm going to the house of the Lord. Somebody shout, he changed my way. I'm hurrying to a close this morning. But I'm thankful to know that when the Lord touched the lame man at the gate, he didn't just receive his healing and run off. This is the temptation when you feel good on this Sunday morning and you come up to this altar call and the Lord touches you in a few minutes. You're going to leave this place and say, well, I guess I got what I came for. But when you really get a touch in your body, it's not something you can live without. It's not something you can live without. There's going to be a hunger down deep inside of you that you're going to be sitting at home one Sunday morning and say, oh God, I can't wait to get back into the house of the Lord. I can't wait to get back into your presence. I'm telling you, if the Lord is drawing you today, you ought to give God praise if you're watching this online and you can't wait to get to the house of the Lord. Get up and put your clothes on tonight and come to the house of the Lord. Don't you let the devil keep you out of the temple I'm hurrying John chapter 8 we find the narrative of a woman that to be quite honest with you she had no defense because the scripture said that she was caught in the very act now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know what that means. That means there's no denying what she did. There's an issue that's before us, and it has to be dealt with. And when they brought her to Jesus, this is what they said. They said, this woman was caught in the very act. It's not something that someone supposed had happened. She was caught. Man, this is right, this is right here where... Some people are living. It's like, there's no denying. I like it, it. It happened. I mean, it's where I'm at. It happened. But understand that what happened is what happened. But everything was about to change in this next conversation. <laughs> because the word of the Lord said that they started accusing and started picking up stones. And the Lord, he didn't join their party at all. The word said that he just got down and he started writing in the earth. He started writing something. Now, there's a lot of speculation as to what he write, wrote, but at this point in this sermon today, it's kind of irrelevant. I think it would have been funny, however, if while he was writing, perhaps he wrote the name of the man that she was caught in the act with. Because he was supposed to be there too. But notice, it was only the woman that was caught in the act. Because the man was probably one of their buddies. And again comes that justification. And the man was not brought with the woman because he was going to get off the hook. And that's why the Lord stood up and he said, Well, let he that's without sin among you first cast the stone. Hey, I just want to tell all the stone throwers today, you might as well put it down. Because none of us are perfect. 
You might as well put your stone away. Because if it hadn't been for the mercy of the living God, we'd all be in trouble. Now, I, know, I don't know what your Bible says. If you got a different version, it may say something different. But I'm going to tell you what my Bible does not say. I don't know if you're ready for this. Y'all got your belts on? I don't think you're ready for this. The Bible does not say that the woman felt like she needed to defend herself in front of everybody. She did not stand up and say, I didn't do this. I don't deserve this treatment. She held her peace and let the Lord work on the accusers. The word said that he knelt down and he said, if you don't have sin in your life, then you're welcome to start throwing. But the scripture said that they dropped their stones and they turned and they walked away. And the very next moment of mercy, we examine as it comes out of the mouth of the Messiah when he said to her, woman, look up and look around you. Where are your accusers? And she looks up, not defending herself at all. She just looks up. And she said, in the King James Bible, she said, There's nobody here, no man. The Lord said, look around. Tell me, tell me what's going on here. Where are the accusers? She said, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Watch this. This word is the transitional moment. He said, go. What was he saying? Go thy way. But your way is going to be a little different on the other side of mercy. He said, go and sin no more. I feel like telling you today, he can change your way. But on the other side of mercy, there is a way that's different than the way you've been walking. Your accusers can't accuse you. It don't matter what they say about you. Let him change your way. Let's stand together this morning. Let him change your way. He said, look here, sweetheart, you got one of two options. You can go your way and sin no more. Or you can go back your old way and come right back to this moment again. Because if you made this mistake today, there's a good chance you might make it again. He said, but go and sin no more. You know why I love this church? Because this church wouldn't settle for a doctrine that said he came to save us in our sin. This church believes today that he came to save us from our sin. These altars are wide open today, but I've come to preach to somebody to tell you that the Lord wants to change your way. He wants to change the way you've been walking. He wants to change the way that you've been talking. If you're here today, don't you let pride keep you in your seat. If you feel like you need a touch from the Lord and need to repent of your sins, these altars are open today. And I'm inviting you to make that step of faith right now. To come forward and say, Lord, change my